Praise God. Well, I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Get your Bibles out. And if you would, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 11. Now, I, I've really had, I've really struggled. I've, I've already done this service about a thousand times in my head. I'm already tired. I'm already ready to go eat a hamburger. Um, I'm just trying to, to find what the Lord wants to do today because there's so many, so many variables to everything going on. You know, we're, we're here today to celebrate uh, Jesus Christ. Amen. But it is the 4th of July. It is a, the celebration of our independence and freedom. And the title of this message is In God We Trust. Pretty good. I thought that one would work. You know, I thought I could get away with that one um, for being today. And, and so there's a, there, there's, there's a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling betwixt two. There's the one side of me that just wants to preach Jesus and, and all of this. And then there's the other side of me that just wants to get up on my soapbox and complain and throw stones and, and tell everybody what's wrong and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm trying. It's a, it's a wrestle. It's a, it's a battle. It's a struggle. But I just believe God's going to get us through this. But I want us to learn something here today. We are having communion. Anybody out there watching today, we will be taking communion at the end of service. And so you need to get your, your uh, elements prepared there. And... Uh, uh, we're, and I'm preaching to the altar. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, I'm going to go, you know, uh, I'm going to go Baptist this morning. Man, I'm preaching to an altar call, you know. And the altar call is simply this. I want to tell you what it is that we as a nation need to repent. And that we're going to come forward this morning. And you say, well, Robert, I hadn't done anything. Well, I know I kind of got a trouble with this too. Because I've lived for Jesus for a long time. And with all of my heart. And, and I don't want to get accounted with the rest of the idiots that haven't. But. We do live in America, and America, you know, is, a, is, is uh, at one nation under God. And so sometimes we have to stand up and we have to repent. We have to, we have to stand in as intercessors for those who don't have enough sense to. And so I'm calling us today to the altar to come and take communion today and to, and to consecrate our lives and to repent and to call ourselves to a place where we're standing for America. Because, you know, folks, we're not going to get anywhere just sitting around complaining. We're not going to get anywhere just griping about the next thing that happens, the next news cycle that comes up and all the things that come up. And you just look at it and it infuriates you and you say this and you say that. You're not getting anywhere. That's not going to do anything for you. We've got to move as a nation. We've got to move as a church. And you can only be responsible for yourself in what your actions are. So we've got to move forward as Christians and children of God, being stronger and stronger and stronger and standing up for what we believe and telling people what we believe. I believe too, for too long, Christians have been, and I, this is the only word I know, and I hope it's not a bad word, but I, I learned it as a kid. Uh, you know, mealy mouth, just mealy mouth. I don't really know what that means, but you know what it means. You know, just, 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 just timid, mealy mouth, not, not, we need to be vocal Christians. We need to be loud Christians. We need to be telling people today that they're going the wrong direction, that this is the wrong direction for our nation. This is the wrong direction for your life. It's going to end up in shipwreck. It's not going to end up in victory. And we're only telling you that because we care about you, not because we want to be right. Hello? I mean, Jesus said there's two paths. There's the narrow path and the wide path. And it's our job that are on the narrow path to be screaming at those on the wide path. Get off. You're on the wrong road. You're going the wrong way. Amen. 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 And so for too long, Christians, we've kind of tippy-toed around everything. We've kind of, 
you know, walked on eggshells around stuff because, oh, we don't want to offend them or we don't want to get those people right, you know, stirred up. We don't want to get them mad at us. We, we, but it's time that the nation rise up because I believe with all of my heart that there's millions, millions, millions. Hear me now. There's millions of Christians in this nation who love God, who want this nation to go in the right direction, who want to be a shining beacon on the, on the, on the hill for people to come to and to find Jesus. Amen. I believe that. Okay. I don't believe I don't believe what the, the what the news reports. I don't believe. I mean, even if you saw the Trump rallies in Florida, I mean, acres of people out there uh, and, and just and it's glorious. OK, it's glorious. And so don't let them think don't let them make it in your mind. Things are worse than they are. OK, and they're not good. But I'm saying that it wouldn't take much to turn this nation around. But it's going to take godly people who will stand up and do something, okay? I'm going to start this out. I want, to, I want to read you a quote by George Washington. It's the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly to implore His protection and favor. That's, a, that's what George Washington said, okay? So here in Genesis chapter 11... You find the maker of nations. The maker of nations is God. God created nations. All right. He did it at the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, you see here, verse 1, it says, The whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stones and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make our name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad all over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad over all the face of the earth. He scattered them abroad all over the face of the earth. God created nations right there at that moment, that second. Nations were formed all over this world, right? But you got to understand something. Go to Psalms chapter 2. Man has something on the inside of him. All of us do have something on the inside of us that somehow or another we get to thinking we're as smart as God. It's the truth. There's something on the inside of us that thinks that we have that we're so vast in knowledge that we can just sit down with the almighty God who's been around forever, who's created the heavens and the earth and all there, and who's threw all the stars up there and knows them all by name, and that we can sit down with him and somehow or another we think we're on the same level. We can tell him what we need. We can tell him what he should do. We can tell him when it's supposed to rain, when it's not supposed to rain. Can't you do something about the heat? Come on. We pray all kinds of prayers telling the almighty God what we think he should do. Because Psalms 2 verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage and people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, well, let us break these bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens, he'll laugh. 
He's just going to laugh. Okay, now listen to me. We got, a, we, got a, a, we got a group of people today in America who are fulfilling that right there. Psalms chapter 2. Okay? There are people who say, let's break these bonds and let's go do what we want to. Let's go do what makes us feel good. Let's go do what makes us happy. This is what we want to do. We don't care that that's contrary to what God's law states what the laws of nature state, what anything else states. We want to go do what we want to go do because we want to do it because we, we man, it, it's going to, it's going to, it seems right to us. That's what we want to go do. Hello? Y'all with me? So the end result of that is because God created the nations, that means God created America. Hear what I'm saying? Because this goes back farther than just Independence Day. This goes back all the way to Plymouth Rock. This goes all the way back to people coming to America to escape the oppression of religion and coming to a place into a land to find where they could worship freely. And God was doing something. Listen to me. You say, why do I, what people, people got all, all huffy about saying, oh, America, you know, is an exceptional land. It is. God did something. In all the making that created the nations, God did something. He looked down into people's hearts and he got them and they brought them around from all over the place. And he got them in here and he scat them sail over here and he got them in here and they started and they started making colonies. And then, they, then somebody said, oh, we got to stop this because folks, I've told you all this from the very beginning. This is not about conservatives and liberals or Democrats and Republicans. This is about God and the devil. What's going on today is about, is about goodness, a good versus evil. That's it. It's plain. There's no other. Listen, there's no gray area. It's one or the other. And what's taking place is that America comes up and it comes a bright shining light. Why? Because there began to be people who came to this land who loved Jesus. You can go try to wipe out all the history of the founding fathers and the people of the colonies, but go Go, man, just go do a little bit of research. You find there were people here who loved God, did not want the Church of England over the top of them, pushing down and telling them what they had to do. They didn't want to tell them how to what to preach. They didn't want to tell them what to, how to have their services. They didn't want to have to pay all their taxes and all their stuff like that. They wanted to be free to worship their God. And God shines on that. You know why? Because the nation loved God. In God, they trusted in God they trusted. And they rose up, great men. You say, they weren't great men because they were like so smart. They were great men because they fell on their knees and worshiped the almighty God. They acknowledged him. And God said, I can do something with that. Because it says Isaiah 40 verse 15 says the nations are just a, just a little drop in the bucket to him. There was always this plan. But you got to understand something with freedom. It's a two-edged sword because on one side, freedom is making it where people can be free to go and worship, but the other side of that sword is making it free to where people can go and do what's wrong. So we have freedom of religion in America. So y'all can come in here today. We can worship like this, right? But then it also makes a way for somebody to go over there and want to worship to the devil if they wanted to. It's a two-edged sword. Cuts both ways. Now, I want to tell you a story, 
And, and I'm, you can just jot, the, jot it down because I don't really want to get into having to go back and read all. It's going to take too much time. But it's like the tale of two kings in the Bible. I'm sure most of y'all have heard of King Hezekiah. You can find it over in 2 Chronicles 30. You know, Hezekiah was this king. He rose up. His father didn't serve God. His father didn't serve God, but he did. And he woke he rose up to it and he said, man, I want, I want to have a nation that serves God. That's who we were called to be. So Hezekiah said, I want to institute the Passover. Let's start that first. We're going to institute the Passover. So he sent out runners all over the land, tell everybody, hey, we're going to have, we're going to have the Passover supper. We're going to observe Passover. And it said a lot of the people laughed at him and just didn't take it, didn't take it to heart, just laughed at him. And so, so he says, I don't care, laugh, do whatever you want to, but we're going to have Passover. So in 2 Chronicles 30, 18, it says, so they ate the Passover, contrary to what was written, and Hezekiah prayed for them. And he says, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. And the Lord God of his fathers though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and he healed the people. So what happened was it was because he wanted to do this. They didn't have enough priests in order to really make the sacrifices properly according to the Levitical law. And so Hezekiah said, look, we're just going to believe God for some grace here. He didn't use those words. I am. He said, we're going to pray for some grace here. We're just going to call the priests clean and go ahead and let them do it and let them let them get this Passover meal prepared, and we're, we're just going to believe God to do it. And he said, God heard, and he, then he healed all the people. Isn't it amazing what God will do when people cry out to him? When they don't cry out to him, he sits back and laughs and says, well, it's destruction down there to you. But when they really, truly cry out to him, God says, I'll do anything. I'll heal the land. I'll heal the people. I'll heal it all. I'll set it all straight if they just cry out to me. So, Hezekiah, he begins to enact some things and get some things going. And then all of a sudden, one day, the king of Assyria shows up. He shows up at his door and he says, basically, Hezekiah, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to attack the city. We're going to lay siege to it. We're going to. You know, you got to understand to go into battle and be killed is one thing. But to have a siege done to you, that's even worse because you're talking about months and months and months and months of agony. Because what they do is they just surround the city and don't let anything come in and go out. And basically, you're going to starve to death. OK, so a horrible situation. So it says in Second Chronicles 32, 1. So it says, after these deeds of faithfulness. The Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and he entered Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. I think it's interesting that the writer put in there, after these deeds of faithfulness, after these deeds of faith. In other words, Hezekiah was trying to set everything up in the land so that the government over Israel would be a God-fearing government. All right? So then he shows up. Verse 7, it says, he speaks to the people, and he speaks to them, and this is great. He tells all the warriors, he tells everybody around there, he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. You've got to understand, there is a huge army out there. Man, they're like ants. And he says, nor before all this multitude that is with him, for there's more with us than there is with them. 
Folks, listen to me. You've got to understand this this morning. Get this into your heart. There is more people that love Jesus than don't. There is more with us than there is with them. There's an innumerable multitude of angels on our side. There's more with us than there is with them. The power of God is on your side. There's more with us than there is with them. Okay? But God is the God who has his finger on nations. And it says right here that it says, and then he went on to say, with, his, with him, he's talking about the king of Assyria, is the arm of the flesh. But with us, is the Lord of God, is the, is, that fights with us, it's the arm of God. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah. Now, if you look down in verse 20 and you read it, Hezekiah, they pray, angel moves in, boom, wipes out the Assyrians. They're all dead. Victory's his. Okay? Now, what's interesting about this is when, I, when you say, do you know Hezekiah? A lot of people, oh, yeah, I've heard of Hezekiah. But nobody really knows the name of the Assyrian king. Right? So now let me tell you the second story. The second story is the last king of Israel. He was only a king of Israel. I think it was four months and three days or something like that. It wasn't long, but he was the last king of Israel. Can you tell me, anybody know what his name is? I can tell you right now, and I tell you, I bet you never heard it. His name was Jehoconiah or something of this nature. Okay? That's probably not even close, but that's the Robert Richards South Texas twist on Hebrew names. Okay? You can find it in Jeremiah 26, verse 3. This is a terrible time. He's the last king of Israel. And king, now listen to this. Y'all know this one, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, isn't it funny? In this story, you know the enemy king, but you don't know the king of Israel. And the other one was you knew the king of Israel, but you didn't know the name of the other army. You know why? Because Hezekiah was a godly king, and this dude wasn't. So Nebuchadnezzar's coming to take over the land. So we know the enemy, we know the name of the enemy, but we don't know the name of the king because he wasn't a righteous king. And he wanted to have, he, wanted, he just kept thinking that Israel had not served God for years, had not walked with the Lord for years. They weren't doing anything. And Jeremiah's the prophet, and he's always telling them, you need, to, you need to serve God, you need to serve God, you need to serve God. And so anyway, in, in Jeremiah 26, 3, it says, perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I propose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. God's speaking through Jeremiah and saying, look, this is happening because of what the people have done. And thus saith the Lord, if you will not listen to me and walk in, in my law, which I've set before you and heeded the words of the, of the servant, the prophets whom I've sent to you and rising up early and sending them out, you, but you have not heeded, then you're going to make this house like Shiloh and a city that's cursed from all the nations of the earth. Folks, listen to me. What my concern is, I love what America has stood for. I am a patriot. I, I, I want to serve God in a godly nation. All right, 245 years, America has held up and, and, you know, not always right, hadn't done everything right. I'm just saying, but it's been a nation in whom God we trust. But over the last years, we've been going down, been going, going down, been going down, been going down, down, down in a burning ring of fire. 
And I'm just telling you, I have enough sense to look into the scriptures and say, when a nation serves God, they prosper. And when a nation doesn't serve God, destruction comes upon them. Now you can say, oh, but God wouldn't do that to us. It doesn't even have to do with God doing it to you. Look, if you go home and talk ugly to your wife every night, you're not going to get a good supper. And God didn't have to have anything to do with it. You spoke those words, you did those things, and you're going you're gonna to reap ugly. You're sowing ugly, you're going to reap ugly. As a nation, we start sowing ungodly, you're going to reap the results of it no matter what. And I'm telling you, America cannot stand and keep going on this course that we're on and expect there to be good things. But you have to understand the author behind this. He wants America to be destroyed. You've got to understand that America right now in the eyes of the devil wants he wants to destroy. He does not want it to be a, a, a bright, shining light on the hill. He does not want the gospel to be preached. He does not want free religion. He does not want uh, the, the, the gospel to go around the world out of America. He wants it destroyed. He wants it to end. And he's just got now enough people to help him get hold his plan going. And the end result will be destruction. There's no way out. I'm just telling you, there's no way out. Least the Americans rise up and begin to humble themselves and cry out to God. And God intervenes and all the people in this land who really love Jesus, really love God, rise up and begin to become a nation and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going down that road. Otherwise, it ends in destruction. Now, I want to show you one more scripture here. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 is of one that everybody, everybody loves. Oh, they love that. But you really have to read that in total, complete context of, of everything going on. Because this is God's words to the people of Jerusalem as they're about to get destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and carried off as captives into Babylon. Verse 7 says, he said to the people, seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray for the Lord and pray to the Lord for it. For it's in its peace, you will have peace. Isn't it interesting that God says, look, you're going, you're going to have, you're going to, have to be a slave. You're going to have to be captive over there. You're going to lose everything. But seek the peace of the city and in seeking that peace, you're going to find peace. Let me go on. Don't, don't, don't turn, turn me off yet. Verse 10. He says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me. And when you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place into which I will cause you to be carried, uh, that I've caused you to be carried away and captive. In other words, he gave them a promise and he said, I'm here. And I'm telling you, the promise for us today is still God's here with us. God hasn't left us. God hasn't forsaken us. Do you realize that Jesus 
listen to this, was born into a Roman world. He wasn't born into a free America where everybody loved God and, you know, had nice things. No, he was born in a stable in a Roman, under Roman occupation, yet he delivered the world. My word to you today is this morning is that, listen, I don't know which way this baby's going to go. I want it to go up. I want it to go great. But either way it goes, I'm still going to keep preaching Jesus. And either way it goes, I'm going to keep serving God. And it doesn't make any difference if it's easy serving God or hard serving God. I'm going to keep serving God. And we the people, <laughs> yeah, we the people have to serve God and find the peace in the midst of the city we're in and keep serving him with all of our heart and telling others, you got to go and serve God. Jesus is the answer. That's what we've got to do, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, whether we're like the Chinese underground church having to have secret meetings or whether we're out there with the big bullhorn. It doesn't make any difference. We're going to keep serving God because what the government does is not going to affect my relationship with my God. And what's happening is a lot of people are getting all twisted up and bent out of shape and whatever and think, oh, but, but the truth of the matter is, listen to me, freedom comes from Christ. It doesn't come from the government. Oh, man, that sounds controversial, doesn't it? The government doesn't have my answer. Freedom comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's it. He freed me from sin. He freed me from the power of the enemy. He freed me to go and to live for him, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm in the palace. It doesn't make any difference. My freedom is to serve and worship him. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've many things I've spoken to you that you can have peace, but in this world you'll have tribulation. Be a good cheer, for I've overcome the world. You see, we don't like that one. Because it says in this world we're going to have tribulation. We want it easy. Americans, we've had it easy for 245 years. Well, that's... Not really, but uh, you go back and you study the revolution, uh, the, 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 the Revolutionary War and independence and all, and see what the signers of the Declaration lost. They gave up everything to see that we could have a free America. There have been people for, for countless wars and things going on that have given their lives so that we could have what we have today. And see, that's what irritates me, and that's what makes me mad. And that's what gets me stirred up, and that's what gets me thinking in the other realms that sometimes I shouldn't be in. Because I get mad at the, at the disgrace and the dishonor that people have done to this nation. Because I'm telling you, some people just need to be taken out and horsewhipped. I mean, it's ridiculous. All right? And that's what I have to stay out of because I get over in that too much, and then I start losing focus of everything. But the whole truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is the one that gave us freedom. Okay? So I want to go to some New Testament scriptures here. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Galatians 1, 4. It says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. Jesus has made a way that each and every person can be free. Each and every person can be free to serve him and not be bound by the things of the devil. He's made a way, but a person has to choose it. 
A person has to choose to walk in that. It's not going to come on you. It's not going to just fall upon you. It's going to be something that you have to choose. When a nation cries out, humbles themselves and prays, when a nation cries out for God to be in their life, God will then be in their life because of freedom. What Jesus did for us. He delivered us from this present evil age. But look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It's interesting that we can read the scriptures and see that the church at Galatia, even after Paul had been there and, and, and miracles had happened, all these things had taken place, they started going back into the law and trying to do things by the law and getting away from the freedom that was in Christ. And Paul had to go rebuke them and say, man, stand fast in the liberty. But oh, how much we are. Folks, we got, we're arguing, we have churches today, denominations today, arguing about things that if they would just go to the Bible and open it up and just read what the Bible says and just say, well, the Bible says that's the way it's supposed to be. We're going to do it. And quit trying to argue the fact that, that, well, how can we do this? How can we work around this? Oh, you know, this and that and the other. And just do what the Word of God says where well, there wouldn't be any argument. But what's going to happen is a slippery slope when you stop standing, when you stop standing on the liberty that Jesus brought for you. When you stop that, it's a slippery slope and you slide down easy and all of a sudden you look back up and you've given up a lot. Well, I don't want to give up my liberties in Christ. I don't want to give up what Jesus has, has bought and paid for us. I don't want to give up the liberties that we have in this nation as a godly nation because people want to do things that are diabolical and debauchery. Hear me now. I do not want to give up the liberties that our, our servicemen and women as blood has been shed to keep this land free just because somebody over there might get their feelings hurt. There are things going on that if you would just, if anybody would just take a look and just have a little bit of common sense, you'd say, you know, that's not right. You do not have to, you know, have a, a, a degree from MIT to figure it out. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. But it's because people want to do evil within their own hearts. They want to do what Romans 1 says. They've gone so far that they have given themselves over to debased minds and their consciences have been seared and they cannot see what is the truth. I think it's pretty interesting. And I, I I'm, 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 shouldn't say this, but I'm just, I just have to. This is one of the most ignorant things I saw this week is the mayor of Chicago standing up and saying that the violence in the city is rising because of Trump. And I'm like, uh, didn't have anything to do with y'all defunding the police, running that down, doing all these other things, bringing all this other stuff up. It didn't have anything to do with that, huh? I mean, really? Blame it on Trump. Wow. And I'm like, that's ignorance. And I know what the Bible tells me not to talk evil of dignitaries, and I don't think just calling what it is is. Uh, necessarily evil, but uh, I mean, I can't believe people could be that stupid. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, for you brethren have been called to liberty. You have been called to liberty. Folks, we've been called to freedom. But let me just say this. See, this is why I'm saying it's such a, it's such a, a, a two-sided message here. Because on one side I'm saying we've been called to liberty 
And so you look on the spiritual side of things, and then why are we walking in bondage? Why are we letting the devil torment us? Why are we letting anything happen? Because the, the, the kingdom you are of is the kingdom of God, so therefore the devil has no rights, no powers, no authority over you. And on the other side, I'm saying over here, we've been born into America, and you are an American, and this is where you have been born into, and this is your nation, then why are we going to let it go to the dogs when we already got the freedom? You follow me? There's a two-sided message here. It's got to go both ways. But he says, don't use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Because you see, that's what happens when you have freedom. You can go into the flesh and do the things of the flesh. It says, for all the laws fulfilled one thing, you shall love your neighbor yourself. Isn't it interesting that the Bible commands us as Christians that we're supposed to love one another, no matter what color you are, no matter you know, how you smell. Whether you're a naturally stinky person or not, we're supposed to love you. Hello? And if we had just led by that law, you know, pretty much everything lined up. Verse 16 says, so I say then, walk in the spirit and you not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That, I think I just got through preaching weeks and weeks on walking in the spirit. So that's the answer is to stay over in the spirit and don't get in the flesh. Now I'll say this, folks. <clears throat> I, I believe right now that our, our biggest job that is set before us is for us as Christians to have our relationship right with God and to be as vocal about Christianity being the correct way to go and, and the Bible to be truth and preach that to everybody we know. I believe that's our number one job. Okay? That's your number one job is to make sure all your family knows and don't, and no sense in them trying to argue with you about, you know, oh, hell, mom, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to, no, no, it's, I'm right, you're wrong. This is what's right. This is it. Do it and we'll prosper. Okay? Just, like I said, I'm not arguing with anybody about how much water we're going to use and what kind of songs they want to sing in church and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the basics of the Word of God. All right? But on the other hand, then also, I believe that we have to be more civic minded than we've ever been. There's a lot of churches right now preaching and saying that, you know, Christians, we just need to be Christians and come over in our little world and sit there and don't don't be involved in in the world. But I'm telling you what, if we're not involved in the world, the salt's not in the middle of the world, then it's going to go to pot fast. And I believe that it's time for us to call. And all you can do is call those around you to accountability. You parents that have children in school, this critical race theory stuff needs to not be even allowed in there. We find out teachers are doing this and talking whatever. We've got to go up there. We've got to, there's going to be a time for a revolt. You have to. Because if you don't, you're giving up America. You're giving up our freedoms. We have to call people to accountability. And I think it's real interesting because a few school boards up in, you know, other places, um, they, they actually have had the people, the parents arrested for being up there protesting about uh, critical race theory and stuff. And, and I think, well, if it's, if it's time for us to get arrested, it's time for us to get arrested. Let us fill the jails up to where we put a problem on, you know, the occupancy. And if that comes down to me, believe me, I'll be right in the middle of it. All right. I mean, the whole war that took place, took place, the first shots fired off of a church house steps. So in Lexington. So, uh, but it's time. I'm telling you, it's time to get serious. It's time to just put this bull down and say, look, folks, this is enough is enough. 
I believe that we have to pull together as a community. I believe that we have to pull together as a church. It's the reason why today is family day, the reason why we're having the hamburgers and asking everybody to stay and just visit and fellowship with one another because we need to know one another. We need to have relationships with one another. We need each other. And we have to get strong as communities because I believe the onslaught that is going to come is not going to be nice and we're going to have to have each other. All right? I'm going down flying the flag. I just want y'all to know that. Because the flag right now here, the American flag to me doesn't represent the evil of the nation. It represents all the good of the nation. It represents what every one of our, our ancestors has done that has fought and died to have us to be able to be here today in church. The flag means a lot to me. I'm going down waving the flag because it doesn't represent my that. That flag is better than our government right now. You follow what I'm saying? And so um, you got the video. We're going to show video. And then uh, I want it, it's 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 all about the flag. And I want to show the video. And then um, we're going to be taking communion here in just a minute. And I don't know if y'all, the video's a little bit long, but I know you praise and worship people need to come on up here, probably. Go ahead and play it. I don't hear anything. There was a lawyer once, his name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song. And they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, man, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? 
He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them away. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. <clears throat> he says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling, Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said, he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott, he said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. 
the prayer. God, keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag, completely nondescript, in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. What he'd found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen. But men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground. Although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. Their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. 